Okay, welcome. So for many of you, this will be review in the first half of this presentation. But I wanted to get everybody on the same page, and review is always good anyway. So um, I've entitled this Your True Self and Your Parts. It's a very basic, not sexy title, but that's what it's about. We're going to be getting into IFS therapy because that's the background here, the structure of, of how we're going to be thinking about conceptualizing. And then we'll get into what is the true self according to empirical research, but also wisdom traditions that go back 3,000 years. And uh, when you define the true self, what's left over in you are the non-true selves. And what are those called? Uh, in IFS therapy, we just call them parts, simple term. And then I'll show you the process. And then we're going to do an exercise called parts mapping. Okay, so that's the overall thing. Now, if you are new to this, I'm just throwing some quotations at you by uh, neuroscientists. Gazaniga, I think he's at Harvard. Uh, I read him originally in philosophy, philosophy of mind. I had no idea he was doing psychiatry and psych well, he's, that he has all these connections to psychology and psychiatry. But anyway, here we go. Uh, pioneer in split brain, split brain research. What of the idea that the self is not a unified being and there may exist within us several realms of consciousness? For my neuroscience studies, the new idea emerges that there are literally several selves and they do not necessarily converse with each other internally. So there are parts of, in your brain, modules is uh, the common term in neuroscience, that are, are not um, in, uh, well, in communication. Right? So it's sort of like uh, apps on your phone or software on your computer. When you're playing one program, it could conflict with another one. And it's not like the programs sync up or have APIs with each other or anything. So that's like the brain. The legend of the, oh, and this is uh, Marvin Minsky, pioneer of AI at, at MIT. The legend of the single self can only divert us from the target of that inquiry. It can make sense to think there exists inside your brain a society of different minds. Like members of a family, the different minds can work together to help each other, each still having its own mental experiences that the others never know about. So when we have inner conflicts, and this is pretty much the whole point of psychology and psychotherapy since the advent of it by Freud and Jung, it was to discover your inner conflicts and then to... Um, to bring them into harmony so there's not conflicting anymore. So what are the parts, well, I already gave it away. What are the things in you that are in conflict? Those are parts in the mind. Right? So just to even get off the ground, psychotherapy and psychology already assumes that there are parts that just haven't been very sophisticated in its conceptualization of them. And uh, now we as scientists feel like uh, we can do that. <laughs> so it's an amazing thing when uh, the woo-woo, feel-good psycho psychotherapy comes together with the uh, empirical sciences, and they merge IFS, the result of that. So uh, IFS is leading you as, if you, as you go through the therapeutic process, to internal leadership. The self is in leadership. Parts are not just feelings, but distinct ways of being. In other words, um, there's a great movie, I think it's by Pixar, Inside Out, where there's a, a little girl, she's feeling stuff, and then... Uh, you see it like sort of a spaceship, and you have a, another uh, character for each emotion she feels. Right? Hopefully you've seen that movie. It's a great movie, Inside Out. And that's a good way to illustrate how parts might be related to each other and how they interact. Uh, but in that movie, it's quite simplistic because uh, like there's just her sadness part. And then there's a happiness part, right? And the happiness part comes over and like, oh, sadness, you stand right here. And she draws a circle around that girl, and she's like, your job is just, just to stay right here. And the sad part's like, okay. And then of course the sad part doesn't, so it starts to wander over and then it sits on the command console and like beep, 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 and the whole thing goes to shit, right? But, um, so that's an interesting illustration of how some parts are so extreme in one emotion 
that they kind of define themselves that way, but they're not. That all of the parts have um, their own personality, their own set of um, preferences and beliefs and so on. Body posture, movement, and, and that sort of thing. Okay, so internal leadership is uh, when we listen to our different parts and ensure their needs are met and keep them from sabotaging one another. That's when leadership is uh, healthy. Okay, so IFS therapy is empirically based. IFS is posted by NREP, National Registry of Evidence-Based Programs and Practices, which is maintained by the US government, SAMHSA, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. It is the only therapeutic uh, method uh, besides CBT to, to be given this listing in the NREP. So uh, this means that insurance companies will approve your treatment as a matter of course. It's listed in the government's um, approved practices. Okay, so to get there, you um, you've got to go through independent, independent rigorous scrutiny and then deemed to show significant impact on individual outcomes relating to mental health. In particular, IFS, indicates, uh, IFS has studies indicating promising effects on the mind, including depression and anxiety, on the body, so even for physical health conditions, and, and the spirit, personal resilience and self-concept. I'm not gonna bother going through these because this is gonna be a review for most of you. There are three categories of parts in IFS. There are exile parts, used that word before. Basically, these are um, the vulnerable inner child parts. They're not always inner child parts, but often, almost always. Um, then there are managerial parts and firefighter parts. I nowadays just uh, like to use the term protector parts, that sort of umbrella term for both managers and firefighters, because it's, uh, it's um, sort of not necessary to distinguish them. The main difference is firefighters come on after. So firefighters are post-event. So when something triggers you, then the firefighter comes on and does something extreme, like blanking. You see this a lot, actually, if you have access to any of my old courses, like Limitless or any live Singapore events, um, you'll see dudes just blank. Like, huh? That's a, that's a firefighter who just came on to just shut everything down because it's too scary to deal with. Um, the manager parts are before. So these are the parts that, um, for instance, an achiever part who's got everything planned, and when everything's on, on track, he feels really good, right? So this is preemptive, and then the other one is post or reactive. All of the parts have positive intent. And this is a lesson uh, that uh, you'll see a lot in IFS, but also in Tony Robbins's uh, therapeutic approach. Every part has a positive intent for the person, even if its actions or effects are counterproductive or cause dysfunction. <clears throat> so there's, because of that, because of this positive intent, there's never any reason to fight with, coerce, or try to eliminate a part. So most psychotherapy models deviate from IFS here and a few other places, but here is one, where they pathologize some kind of behavior or pattern, and they just want to excise it. They want to just cut it out. So I've got training in schema therapy. One of the things that falls out of schema after you identify all the various modes and schemas that are, uh, that are working is that if the client is doing well and is in a healthy adult stage or uh, healthy adult state, then the dysfunctional states or modes just disappear. And that doesn't work very well in the long run. And um, you, we were sharing earlier, and um, you, you were talking about how uh, you don't want to just get uh, to power through, to cry or get to a, a vulnerable part. Um, and that's really important, because if there's any kind of pushing through in any major way, that means that you're trying to push past a protector part. And it will later on come back to haunt you, it will be a, there will be backlash or something, because that part is actually there in your brain. 
it won't go away and it shouldn't go away because it's a very positive part. So when you heal and go through the process, that part that you experience as dysfunctional will morph, shift, transform, grow up into a positive, powerful part. The IFS method promotes internal connection and harmony. That's one of the goals is everything's working well um, together. So we get now into the true self. What is the true self? The true self is your undamaged essence beneath the surface of the protective parts that is confident, curious, calm, sheltered from destruction by various protective parts. And we're gonna go into a little bit more detail on that. Uh, the once the protector parts feel safe and trust the true self, the true self naturally emerges and leads the other parts in the healing process. So um, you guys were, uh, Chiming was asking about um, discovering the true self. I'm gonna share uh, my journey through this, uh, but uh, one of the most um, efficient ways to do it is by getting all of the various protector parts that come up to step back. And as they step back, uh, the true self will naturally emerge. The uh, true self, what does it do? The true self reorganizes the inner system and communicates with the parts to establish trust. That's one of the first steps. And uh, one example of how this happens from a neuroscience, pers neuroscience perspective is what happens when you're meditating effectively. When you're meditating effectively, you'll see an increased activation of medial prefrontal cortex and a decrease in activation in the uh, amygdala in the fight flight or freeze structures of the brain. And uh, the true self's like an orchestra conductor or the coach of a sport team. Um, the example I've, I've also been throwing out there is um, the, the relation of true self to the parts is like your computer and the operating system that the whole thing is running on. And then there are various programs and, or software uh, that run for specific purposes. Like you got your Microsoft Word and you have your Excel and those are separate parts. And some of them speak together. So Excel and Word speak very well together. Just like some of your parts work together very well, like my intellectual part with my philosopher part and my achiever parts, they're, they're always like a team and they're a, like we're polarized against uh, vulnerable parts, a loving part, a present part. And um, there could be uh, compu like computer programs that are in conflict and when certain scripts run, it just freezes your computer and you got to restart it or unplug it or whatever, you know. That's like a lot of dudes uh, when they just blank, especially in Asia, like I was saying, I see this Saw, saw this a lot and I didn't know what to do about it as a coach. Coaches aren't very good with emotions. They're very blunt force with that. Um, so it was just like, okay, are you stupid or are you just a scaredy cat? Um, neither of those conclusions were very helpful in the moment. Um, so luckily, now I understand that whole thing better. So for men, I like to also use the example of a sporting team. So um, Football, American football is very good because there are a lot of different positions. And there's offense and defense, and those are totally different teams, generally. And then you have special teams, the kicker and all that. Uh, so you have different parts depending on the play you need to run, and whether you're in offense or defense and whatever, right? And so there's a quarterback on offense, and none of those are all, like quarterback's sort of your, one of your main default parts, but none of them are the true self. They're all various parts. And usually the coach is considered the true self, but even then I wouldn't say that I think the coaches would be more like a part um, that plays in the system. So maybe the whole, the owner of the game, of the team, is more like the true self in that context. So giving you some analogies so you get a better uh, feel for how they're related. When the true self is not in control, we have what therapists call blending. This is a condition in which the self identifies with that part. So what will happen a lot is, especially when you're just beginning your journey through yourself, is that you're actually blended. 
you are actually in a part and the true self is not um, in control or is not even to be seen anywhere because there's so many parts crowding it. So when you're feeling any kind of extreme emotion uh, that isn't a positive one, that's a part uh, feeling it. And if you identify that as I am feeling it, what you're, what's happening is that part is actually taken over. And uh, we call this blended. So the idea is you want to unblend them. You want to have the part like step out or um, give you some room, you being the true self, right? Uh, and so that you can attend to that part and find out what its needs are, what its fears are, etc. Here's some examples. The I want to kill myself, myself or I hate you, um, or uh, a part of me wishes I were dead, or a part of me were triggered when you do that, it makes me want to kill you. Those are all examples of a blended part. Okay, so there are eight characteristics, they're called the eight C's of the true self. If you, the more of these eight C's that you have or feel at the moment, the more self-energy, we call that, the more self-energy is present and now the work can begin. Without self-energy present, the therapist uh, will need to use direct access. So actually there are quite a few videos of Tony Robbins doing direct access, uh, which is uh, developed actually by Gestalt therapy. And that means where you're speaking directly to the blended part. Right, so this part, so normally, uh, so one of the innovations of IFS is that what used to be the therapist speaking to various parts and Gestalt pioneered empty chair. So, you know, the first time I experienced it, I had, uh, it was uh, a, a little boy who had been shamed about sexuality from uh, a home, like a video that we were all watching at home. And then I think it was about seven, six years old. And then I got up and, and took another seat and that was the rake. And then I got up and uh, there was another part. But anyway, when you look at them from that seat, because you get into the body language, the words and the whole thing, um, you embody the part and then you move around and, and now those are um, physical stand-ins for where um, the parts of you are. That way you can now relate to the parts. And the therapist is sort of directing the thing. Um, with IFS, you can have all that happen without shifting chairs. And it's all happening inside your mind because your true self is now superintending the process. And then the, the therapist in IFS is just sort of guiding you or prompting you for the next thing that you should do. But if you have a lot of self-energy, you'll already automatically know what the, the right thing to do is. If you don't know what the right thing to do is, then you don't have much self-energy. I mean, that's one of the signs of it. So what are these eight seeds? What are these eight characteristics of self-energy? And now I'm being what Richard, Richard Schwartz, the founder of IFS, calls a, a hope merchant. Well, not in the way that he would use it. He's usually talking to parts and trying to get them to uh, trust that good things will come out of it. So relax and step aside instead of keep getting in the way. But I'm going to be a hope merchant to you to like say, and for many of you, you come to this as, as coaching clients, not therapeutic clients. And actually some of you had very strong resistance to even trying therapy. So uh, this hope merchant stuff would have been really useful at, at the beginning uh, of that process. Um, but uh, all of you in this room now are op open enough to it to be here. But um, one of the things I should have said is if you want to feel any of these um, eight characteristics or qualities and carry them consistently, the only surefire way to do it is um, by accessing your true self. And intrinsically, everyone kind of wants to be their true self anyway, because <laughs> what's, the, what's the opposite? My non-true self, like my fake self or something? That doesn't sound very nice. Um, but you think about it like, well, if a false self has positive intention, why don't I just stay in that self all the time, like my player self or like my business self or one of these other parts, right? 
um, because what will happen is not, those parts can never, will never have these characteristics fully on their own, and they will often be in conflict with other parts. So the true, without the true self online, there will, continue, there will be continual inner conflict. There, at a more advanced level, you'll find that parts as they emerge and mature and become unburdened and um, come into their own, they have self-energy as well. So the more that you heal all the various parts in you, um, the more uh, that they will each have these really positive qualities. So your manager part, who's a business guy or something, or your planner part, as you heal this planner part, you remove the fears and all that, he now takes on a different role, a role that's much more positive and, and empowering. Uh, the example I gave in the lecture series, uh, Practical Psychology for Extraordinary Living, was how the inner coach um, commonly uh, transforms into the inner, oh, sorry, the inner critic commonly transforms into, into the inner coach once the inner critic is healed and unburdened of its fears and so forth. Okay, so what are the eight C's? Um, the first, well, they're in no particular order. Uh, the first is connected. You naturally feel close to other people and to your parts, and you want to relate in harmonious, supportive ways. So, and by the way, as I throw that out there, connected, a common question I get is, um, how do I stop being needy? So, oh, the other thing is, not only did you come from a perspective of, of coaching, but you also came uh, because you wanted to uh, get better with women and dating and so on, right? The, the thing that will destroy your attractiveness to women is neediness. So that's the, the strongest negative quality. And the strongest positive quality is confidence. You might have heard this said by women, right? Like, what do you want most in a guy if he's confident, right? So those two things are sort of like two sides of the same coin. And for neediness, the uh, antidote was to meet your own needs. Because right? you're needy when you want a woman to meet your needs. Like, oh, I feel lonely. Meet my needs for loneliness. Oh, I don't feel like I'm good enough. Make me feel like I'm good enough by telling me you like me. That kind of thing. Um, and that's just needy as fuck, right? <laughs> now, uh, well, how do you get rid of it? Well, pickup says, calls this one-itis, and then they just try to damp it down, right? Just repress it, suppress it, man. <laughs> What's the opposite of needy behavior? Do that. So it's so sort of like this, like the common dating scene is that, oh, I really want to text her. I really want to text her. No. Like, that's how they deal with it, right? So, or like, I'm on a date, I really should, oh, I really wanted to like me, but I'm gonna pretend like I don't give a fuck and I'm gonna spit out lines that I've memorized. Um, so that's, those are the common ways. And that's just called suppression, which will lead to repression, all right? And then you wonder why at the end of the, uh, the period of, of whatever it is, like the date, the year, whatever it is, it's gonna come out that he's actually super insecure. And that's, I've already covered this in, in multiple videos on uh, the codependent narcissist. So this is the way to do it. How can you meet your needs for connection by yourself, your, your, your own needs for certainty? Right, we'll, go, we'll run down the Tony Robbins seven, six needs. Certainty, uncertainty, significance, connection. How do you meet those needs for yourself without having to rely on other people meeting those needs for you? You can't unless you do IFS. <laughs> well, you can't right, unless you can actually connect to your own parts. So the connection that happens, there's like a whole party in your head. Like when you get good at this, you just close your eyes and wow, there's all these parts and how you doing, right? You just check in with them and uh, you just connect with yourself. Now, hopefully you've experienced what's that, what that's like, maybe in a meditation session that was really good and you connected to, with yourself or you gave love to yourself. What's actually happening for that to actually make sense, right? Not like in a joking way, but like for it to make sense that you love yourself and you give love to yourself uh, and you self-love, right? That, there have to be two parts. There have to be two parties. One is directing an emotion to another. Um, otherwise, it's just turning in on itself and, 
That's just, that's why there's so much resistance to the idea. It just doesn't make sense. But it makes clear sense when there are parts in you and you love them and you connect with them. So what's great about the true self is it's connected to all of its parts. It loves all the parts in you. And that's a sign that you have now accessed self energy. And um, one thing that's important is that the true self is not like, it's not like you're either in it or you're not. It's not like 100% or zero. Um, there's a, it's a continuum, like maybe you're at 50% self-energy. So what therapists describe this as, you need to have a critical mass of self-energy in order to proceed with, with the process. Okay, so that's connected. That's an example of how once you access your true self and have enough self-energy, you can meet your own needs for connection in yourself um, quite naturally. The true self is also curious. You're interested in other people and your parts in an open, accepting way. You're interested in the inner workings of your mind. You're interested in the positive intent of your parts what they're trying to protect you from, and what, why each part acts as it does. You have compassion. You feel compassionate. Uh, compassion, in case you didn't know, is a form of kindness and love arising from empathy with people in pain. And in fact, um, a lot of, of the American men's movement, I don't know what even, they, they, they hate the word movement, but like the men, what's happening right now in, in uh, the world of men in the West is a startling lack of compassion and just instead fighting bitterness. I hate these fucking feminists, what they did to us. And we get it. But if you understand the feminists, they're also in their parts and they're arising from that. All of that bitterness is coming out of pain, pain that they feel collectively um, that they call on that collective pain for decades and decades. And now this is the reaction. So um, if you're in your true self, you'll feel the compassion for them. Just sort of like a, maybe you have a teenage daughter or something and she's just freaking the fuck out and she's screaming at you and all this. And you know it's because she's hurt. And instead of getting mad back at her, you feel for her, right? And you see all this, even though it's coming at you quite strongly and directed at you um, as your true self, you, you feel compassion for that. You genuinely care about how others feel and want to support them through their pain. And you feel compassion for your parts, including the more extreme parts reacting to the pain. In addition, the true self is calm. Uh, is clear, clear clarity, is clarity of mind, confident. What's great is once I was able to get more self-energy for myself, like my confidence I discovered was largely a result of competence. So most of my life, you know, you're like you're co you're confident that you can drive a car because you've taken a course, you've passed the test, and you've dri you've driven a lot. And uh, as soon as you get in the car, you're like, yep, I'm driving, I'm okay, right? So you're confident. Everyone can understand that. Now, imagine if you're confident in yourself and you'll figure shit out and we'll figure it out. And you've never driven before. You get in there and you're like, okay, I'm gonna figure this out. But your confidence is still there. It's not like your confidence disappears just because you don't know how to do something. Um, you're gonna figure it out. So you can go into a class on day one not knowing anything about the class and still be confident. And as you discover there's lots of things you don't know, you can still be confident because you're confident that you can handle it if you take the time to, to do this study or whatever. So if your confidence is dependent on the external outcome or your competence, it's actually not real confidence. It's, uh, we call it like dependent confidence. So what's amazing is when you access the true self energy, even when you don't know what to do next, which is very common, you're, you're calm, you're clear, you're like, okay, I just don't know what to do next. Let's wait and see what happens. Or let's take some actions and see what falls out of it. And you're confident. And that's something that you can have as a basic quality. It doesn't depend on anything else. And as you discover more self-energy, you'll, you'll discover what that's like, but how it feels from the inside. It's also courageous, and they go together, um, and, and creative. So uh, nowadays, I hear a lot of dudes who are um, afraid to feel emotions. And 
we understand why that's so, because there's a protective part that's blocking the emotion. And because when they first felt that emotion at seven years old or five or three, it was so uh, um, uncomfortable or so painful that they didn't want to feel it again. But now the guy's like 50 or 40 years old or whatever. So it doesn't make sense. So as you get into your true self, well, it makes sense from the perspective of the child, but not from the perspective of the adult. And as you get more self-energy, you become more courageous to feel. Feel the emotions that you were afraid to feel before. And that's an amazing thing. So the more self-energy you see, the more that there isn't any fear and the more that you lean in. But that's because you want to, because you're courageous. You're not forcing it. It's just natural. You're going to step into the fire and get that done. Right? Okay. And then the final one is creative. You're going to think of new ways to do things. And, well, we could talk about creativity forever, but there you go. So those are the eight traits, the eight qualities, connected, curious, compassionate, Calm, clarity, confident, courageous, and creative. In addition, I'll give you the five P's of the therapist self or the true self when it's working with the parts. So in you, you become your own therapist. So IFS therapists put themselves out of a job because their job is to coach you on how to be your own therapist for yourself. And when you are working with your parts, you also have these five qualities. This is marked by your, like, uh, that you're, you have self-energy and now you're ready to work with these various parts in you. Playful. So you don't take anything too seriously, right? Like, you know it's serious when there's, you know, serious emotions or whatever, but you're also able to see the levity in things and um, you're, pretty, you're still pretty easygoing and laid back about it. Patient. You're going to need a lot of patience to do this process. So one example of guys who are not in their selves, in their true self, are when they say, I just want it to be done. David, when is it going to be done? I want to be finished. I want to be perfect and no, need no fixing. When is this process going to be finished? And they talk in terms of like this, upward trajectory that like now I'm on step one, now I'm step two. And I know that so strongly that that part of them is so, is so strong in them that I've created a five-step program in Leg Legendary to just give them some direction. But the whole point is when you get to the top, it comes back down to the bottom again. You know, like Zen uh, in, in Buddhism, right? You, you just come full circle. So the thing about it is um, what's the rush, right? If you're in your true self, you have, uh, well, infinite patience. You're present. Uh, that's an example of, I have a lot of friends and myself who are achievers as the default, and we rarely are present because an achiever has to always be thinking ahead. It's like you're playing a chess game, like life is chess. And if you're doing very well in chess, you can't enjoy it actually, because you're never actually in the moment because you'll lose. You have to think 10 steps ahead. And you're also planning not just one game, but you're playing multiple games and the whole thing, right? And um, that's the reality for a lot of achievers. And an example of, like, and that's also why they're not very good at working with their own parts, because <laughs> uh, they're actually not present. If you're not present, then you're just planning. Okay, I have an agenda now. Hmm, how can I make this part back off so I can have more power? Right? And that's not your true self. That's a part of you, and it won't work. Um, so being present. And that's something I've been working on like, before I even understood IFS um, for like years. So this is something that will continue um, to be uh, a, a, th a practice that you should adopt for life. Perspectival, in other words, the part or the, the true self has, a has the right perspective and it can take different perspectives and it understands different points of view. And it's persistent, just keeps at it. Okay, so this is the process of the first half of an IFS process. The second half is unburdening the exile. The first part of the process is what we call the six Fs. I've never taught this before. I'm gonna run you through it real quick. The first one is fears, fears and concerns. All right, so this is where you find out, well, uh, there's some problem. Like, usually you go into therapy because there's some kind of unsettled 
thing happening in you. Now, in coaching, a lot of people go to coaching because they want more. They want to get better. They're, they're doing well, and they want more. Right? That's what will drive the coaching. This is why therapists suck at helping most people in the world, because most people don't know that they have problems, and they think they only go to therapy if they need to be fixed. So unfortunately, therapists are used to seeing lots of people who are coming in states of distress. They're not so great with people who are like, life is great. Make me better. <laughs> They're like, what are you doing here? Right? So you know, I'm helping them out. You can actually put them together, the therapist and coach. And what we do is therapeutic coaching. And what, almost always, the reason it's not, you're not naturally going to the next level is not because of some, some strategies or whatever. And if it were some cognitive barrier, guess what? If you can access your true self, all of the good stuff comes. The creativity comes. This is what Tony Robbins of Business Mastery will say. Is it a lack of resources or a lack of resourcefulness? When you have resourcefulness, you'll find it within you. Because the more you can access parts that have creativity, the more the outcome that you need will come. Now, uh, almost always, the blockage of the creativity or the blockage of the resourcefulness is um, a part that is um, in, in some way polarized or uh, unhealthy or in some kind of unhealthy relationship. So fears. First, you've got to figure out what are the fears. Are there any fears or concerns about working with any particular part? And then find. Go inside and find the part in or around the body. So then you, got to, you have to locate that part. Now, uh, there's so much research on this. I've done other courses on how the mind is connected to the body, through the spine, through the limbic system, through the autonomic nervous system, etc. And you'll discover that almost always you'll be able to identify where in the body, physical body, that part right now is located. And often it goes to the same place. So when you get that tightness in the stomach or the chest, that's a sign of a part that's becoming more extreme at that moment. That's good. Touch it, contact it. Because what will happen is if you shove it down, it'll just go away. And now you can't do any work. Now you can't discover anything about yourself. Now you can't become healthier and less uh, fettered, right? And so unburdened, right? So you got to get contact with that part. So usually when you start this process, you need a therapist to just encourage you to go there. You know, um, a lot of clients, especially the older, older ones, <clears throat> have had like five decades of resistance to feeling things that they can't even get past that second step because as soon as they find it, they just want to shove it away because they've been doing that for five decades and that just doesn't feel good. They're not used to it. Um, but you've got to lean into it. That's the part where you're like, oh, I found it. Let me stay with it. Right? So um, one way that I do it is I challenge your masculinity. Are you a man? You think you're tough? You can't even fucking cry. Right, sit there with it. Sit there with it. It's sort of like in Fight Club when he's pouring acid on uh, Brad Pitt's arm, right? And Brad Pitt, or uh, not the other, the other way around. Brad Pitt's pouring acid on what's the guy? Ed Norton, right? Ed Norton's like he goes to his cave, safe place, safe place. He's like, no, stay here, right? Because if you can't stay present with the feeling, you'll never contact it. So I don't. I just thought of that image. I don't know if I haven't done an analysis of Fight Club, by the way. So fine. Third is focus. Focus your attention on this part in whatever way you are experiencing it. Okay, find and focus. Then feel. And the, well, so you're going to feel it the whole way. But this is the turning point question. How do you feel towards this part? What we're doing is checking for a critical mass of self-energy. If there isn't, you can't proceed yet. So for instance, you ask, how do you feel towards this part, this anxious part, when you're with women? How do you feel towards that? I wish it would go away. I hate it. Okay, that's not your true self. That's another part. Okay, so let's get to know this part that hates the anxious part. Why is that happening? What is the fear? And now you run the whole process with that part. Or if you feel like this part's not too extreme, it's just like, oh, I don't really like it. 
Or this part's distracted. Oh, I'm thinking about, this part of me is thinking about lunch. Let's ask that part that's thinking about lunch to just step back a bit. Because right? just when it, it keeps getting in the way. This is a blocking, a coping strategy to just prevent access to the vulnerable emotions where all the power is of love and playfulness, right? So you ask that part to step back and give you some room so that the true self can, can operate with the part. Now, if you get a, a client who is, has many parts that just have layers and layers and layers, you can't get to that self energy. That's when the therapist will step in and take the role of the true self for the client who doesn't have enough self energy. And then we access that part directly. So we speak directly to that part. That's a technique that's pioneered by Gestalt therapy, you know, direct. We speak directly to it. So you see this in the some of Tony Robbins' videos, which are the most entertaining ones to watch. So I keep referencing those. So you will probably watch those versus like normal one-on-one -on -one therapy, which is very slow. Um, Tony is a very entertaining guy. And uh, you'll see he's like, is this Agnes? No, 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 I want to talk to Agnes. So Cheryl, sit down. Where's Agnes? And it's the same person. And she's like, okay, sit the way Agnes was. And he can just tell because she's, you know, the voice is different. Her, the way she's sitting is different and whatever. Her hair is down versus up and all that stuff, right? So that's fun to watch. And that's, that's only, that should only be the case when the, the client doesn't have enough self-energy to do it him or herself. Then the therapist steps in. And you'll find that when every time you ask, how do you feel towards that part? You keep getting negative stuff, judgment, critical. Um, then you know that's a part. It's not actually your true self because your true self would have compassion uh, for that part and so forth, right? Any of, you're looking for any of those eight qualities or the five Ps as well. If the part doesn't step back, if they're just parts that keep coming in, they won't step back and there's too much fear. It's quite common when you're first beginning this process. I don't want to feel that pain. No, right? I don't know. Just don't go there. Okay, no problem. We'll go to number five, befriend. And here is where we find out about the target part. Here's just some sample questions about how you can find out about this part. Um, how, does, how does it respond to when you say, like, so how do you feel towards that part? And it's something positive or not too bad. Um, then you can ask the person to tell that part that you feel that way. And then how does the part respond? Is it aware of your presence? What does it want you to know about it? What's its job? How does it try to help you? When did it take on this job? How old was it? How long has it been doing this job? What would it rather do if it did not have to protect you in this way? Is there something else that you wanted to do? You'll see this also at the end of the process. And Tony does this quite well. Like, okay, Agnes has been way overused right now. She's this achiever woman. And now we can tell her to rest. And we're going to have, you know, sexy, whatever, Cheryl, come on more. And, and put more passion in your relationship because of that. But then Agnes needs something to do especially because she's an achiever part, what would she want to do? Oh, well, she wants to just run around in the park and play with the dog. Great, let's have her do that. Make that happen. And then in your, in your mind, in your uh, inner reality, you just do that. It's an amazing thing. Um, so that's, that's something that you would cap it off at the end. Uh, updated on the present. Um, so often, because of what we showed at the beginning of the neuroscience, these uh, separate modules in the brain aren't aware of each other. So make them aware, or even, they're not even aware of the operating system that they're running on, so make them aware of that. So in other words, does this little part in you that's full of fear know how much you've accomplished, know how old you are, how much you've lived, and et cetera, et cetera. Most of the time they don't, and that's why there's so much fear. They still think you are five years old, even though you know, that's when that part came online. So you update it. Offer it appreciation for its positive intent and how hard it's been working. What does it need before trusting you more? And then, and then we get to, as a final step, you, you get to know its fears and concerns. Address all the fears and concerns about what would happen if it didn't do its job. Is there a more vulnerable part it is protecting? This is when you're trying to get to the exile. 
um, the vulnerable part. What if there were a way to take care of the part it is protecting so it wouldn't have to work so hard? That last part is the hope merchant, where you're trying to convince that polarized part to step back, but it's got all this fear that it doesn't want to let the little child out because it's just too painful, and if you get, might get re-traumatized. So you tell that part, what if there's this process that we could lead you through that would make, allow this little child to feel free and um, easy and so on? Would you do it? And basically the idea is like you're trying to just negotiate with this part to say, yeah, let's give this a shot. And then the part will relax back and allow you to access the vulnerable part. Now, steps five and six are there if there's not enough self-energy. So if there's not enough self-energy, you get some kind of critical response to this. You go into five and six. And notice how six is going back to four, right? So you ask, okay, now are you able to relax? Now are you able to step back? Great. It says yes. And now you ask the client again, how do you feel towards this part? And if it says something positive or something along the lines of the eight C's, then you're good to proceed to the next stage, the second half of the process, which is the unburdening. I'll just go through this real quick. Um, the unburdening. So the extreme parts carry burdens. These are painful emotions or negative beliefs that are taken on because of harmful experiences in the past, most often in childhood. These burdens are not intrinsic to the part and can be released or unburdened, um, allowing the part to assume its natural healthy role. The true self is the agent of this healing. The therapist helps the client to access and remain in his or her own true self and provides guidance, like prompts, in the therapy process. What happens then is the protectors let go of their protective roles and transform only when the exiles they are protecting are unburdened. So this protector part that's in a kind of unhealthy extreme will stay acting that way uh, because, that's, well, because it was doing that in order to protect the vulnerable exile. Once you, so instead of like trying to fight the protector part, here's an example, right? Many of us have achiever protector parts. And um, maybe we, we procrastinate because there's another part that's in uh, conflict with it and wants you to enjoy life. So it's like making you watch Netflix or something. And those parts are fighting each other, right? And they'll continue to do that. You can't force them to stop. You can do it temporarily by having another part come online, maybe a warrior part that's like, fuck this, we're gonna do this now. Right, and that worry part says that, but then the worry part gets tired. It needs to rest too. And then what happens? Boom, those two guys are coming back on and fighting again. Achieve a part and procrastinate a part, whatever, right? And none of that will happen um, naturally. None of it will resolve itself naturally until the exiles that each of those parts are protecting are healed. The whole reason they're in this sort of way, this unhealthy way, is because these are coping strategies to protect this vulnerable part. Once you're able to heal the vulnerable part, the protector parts no longer have to do that job. And they're like, oh, hmm, okay, all these fears have gone away. Now I can just do what I naturally would bring, make me fulfilled. Okay, so protectors will let go of their roles once the exiles are unburdened. You cannot work with any exiles until the true self has obtained permission from any protectors who are protecting that exile. This makes the method relatively safe, even in working with traumatized parts. So um, this, there's a lot to say about that one, but I'm just going to keep going. So uh, I spent 14 days learning this and how to do it and practicing it. I gave it to you in 20 minutes. Pretty amazing. <laughs> so I, I know some of you are like, whoa, 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 so much information. It is. It is a lot of information. So I normally would take, and each of those days was 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. So uh, it's a lot. So... A quick synopsis, first you help the client access the true self, then the true self gets to know the protectors, discovers its positive intent, and develops a trusting relationship with it. Then with the protector's permission, and that might take several sessions, it might take months, 
Right? With the protector's permission, the client accesses the exile. Now we can go to this vulnerable, scary place that the protectors were protecting, and then discovers the childhood incident or relationship that is the source of the burdens it is carrying. We call that witnessing. And then the exile is liberated from being stuck in that past situation and helped to release its burdens. And now this is the retrieval and unburdening. The protector can then let go of its protective, unhealthy role, its maladaptive role, and assume a healthy one. Okay, so this is a whole process that it could be done in one session, um, if you're ex experienced with going there, going inside and so on. But for the average dude, uh, this could take five or six sessions to get used to, to how it feels on the inside and to just get the, earn the trust of the protectors. Often the reason you can't proceed is because the protector parts don't trust the client's self. Right? So there's not enough self-energy online. Um, so you, you have to just develop the uh, relationship between the self and the protector parts in the client before we can even access any exiles. So if you try to access an exile prematurely, you just force your way there, and that's what um, your therapist was, I think, mentioning or uh, hinting at. What will happen is backlash, because you access this exile, it feels these emotions, and then no healing or unburdening really has happened. You've just like mem remembered some memory, and you haven't done any work with it. And there it is again. You just re-traumatize yourself. And then like two or three days later, that protector is usually going to, um, well, is usually going to come online as a firefighter. And that's when extreme things come online, like cutting or um, binging or something like that. Just to like, oh, I can't feel this anymore. Go, 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 or something like that, right? And that's because you didn't get that protector's permission to access the exile and you didn't finish the process. So you don't want to begin an unburdening if you don't have enough time to finish it. So if you're in a therapy session, here's a little tip for you to get the most out of your therapy sessions. If you're in therapy and it's been a while, it feels like inside it could have been 40 minutes, and now you're accessing that tender emotion, um, you might just want to check with your therapist, like, how much time do we have? Maybe just open your eyes and like, how much have we got enough time? And also just to remind him, like, oh, shit, you got to watch the clock. Because you don't want to stop it halfway through because you're actually going to make it worse. And you're going to get some backlash. If you have a regular therapy sessions, like weekly, then those parts will just sort of stay in stasis for that time. Um, and you, you, each day, you can check in with them during your meditation, like, okay, where are you? Okay, you're still all right, and all that stuff. And it will stay, because it knows, it trusts you, you will come back to it. It's like our dog at the pet hotel. He knows we'll come back to him, so he can relax. <laughs> He's not neurotic. Okay, so, uh, hopefully. We have a camera on him. <laughs>